So the last six weeks, we've been talking about the kingdom of the devil. We've talked about that there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, which is all-encompassing. Everything that there is belongs to God. We talked about that whenever Adam, by transgression, fell in the garden, God gave him dominion over all the kingdoms of the world. And whenever Adam, by transgression, fell in the garden, then that kingdom was transferred to the powers of darkness. And then there was a, a spirit of darkness or a kingdom of darkness. And for the last six weeks, we've talked about the kingdom of darkness. So tonight, I want to not shift gears, but I want to go to the next chapter in the story because that's not where the story ends. Amen? That's not where the story ends. And I want to start it in a weird place. I want to start with December the 7th, 1941. On December the 7th, 1941, does anybody know what happened? The Japanese surprise attacked Pearl Harbor at about 7 o'clock in the morning and sunk most of the Pacific fleet that was anchored in Pearl Harbor. Um, if you look on your little sheet here, it says December the 7th, a day that will live in infamy, was the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor. The attack was meant to neutralize the United States by destroying the Pacific fleet. While the attack was devastating, the carriers that, helped, that the Japanese hoped to destroy were out of the harbor and survived the attack. So, the carriers are out of the harbor. They survived the attack, so the very thing that the Japanese wanted, those prize carriers, weren't there. They did sink battleships and destroyers, and if you've ever been to the uh, Pearl Harbor National Park, it is an awe-inspiring, very somber place to be. So that was December the 7th, 1941. There was one more battle after that that was pretty quick called the Battle of the Coral Sea. It wasn't a win for the United States, but it wasn't a loss for them either. They, the, 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 the people that keep score on these things say that it was a draw, that the United States Navy and the, and the Imperial Navy of Japan fought to kind of a standoff, and that was the Battle of the Coral Sea. But on June the 4th, 1942, less than six months after Pearl Harbor, the Japanese decided to establish a forward base to neutralize the U.S. in the Pacific War. So what they wanted to do was to get a base close enough to Pearl Harbor and the Hawaiian Islands that they could force the United States to focus on playing defense instead of focusing on playing offense. Does that make sense? So that's what they wanted to do. So they decided to attack an island called Midway. All right, you still with me? The U.S. had broken the Japanese code and knew that the attack was coming. Because they knew that the attack was coming, the, rear, the commander of the Pacific Fleet, a guy named Chester Nimitz, who is from Fredericksburg, Texas. And if you ever go to Fredericksburg, Texas, you will see the, the Museum of the, World War, of the Pacific War in Fredericksburg, Texas. I would encourage you to go through it. it. You better spend about, plan on about, well, if you go with me, you better plan on about four hours to walk through this thing. If you go with Kathy, you can be done in 35 minutes <laughs> or less. <laughs> It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing, uh, if, you're, if you like history and you like Pacific history, World War II, then this is an amazing place to go, and I would highly encourage you to go. Chester Nimitz, he put together a battle plan that defeated the Imperial Navy, sinking four carriers and inflicting damages that they could not, recover, could not be recovered from. Now, I've got a book on everything in the world, and here's a book called J Japan in the Second World War in Color. So this is, this is the war 
as told from the Japanese side. That's what this book is about. I wanted to read to you what it says about the Battle of Midway. It says, uh, the Americans were able to outmaneuver the Japanese and inflict the biggest and most decisive defeat in history. In a few hours on June 4, 1942, American Navy planes sank four Japanese carriers. Hundreds of irreplaceable pilots were also lost. Some of the very men that had carried out the Pearl Harbor, Darwin, and Tricomalee raids so successfully. The Japanese Navy would never recover. The Battle of Midway is generally recorded as the turning point of the entire war in the Pacific. How long has the war been going on? Six months. Six months. And now we've hit the turning point. The, the Jap strategically, the fundamental mistake made by the Japanese in its effort to... Uh, wait a minute, we're here we go. Some statistics make stark reading. The Japanese could never recover from the losses. They could never build those carriers again. They lost so many planes, they couldn't replace the planes, they couldn't replace the pilots in the numbers they needed. Let me just give you some numbers. Um, the Japanese aircraft production in 1941 was 5,000 planes. The United States produced 19,000. Over the next four years, the Japanese built a total of 58,000 aircraft, and the U.S. produced 262,000. The same was true in every aspect of production. From very on in the war, American submarines wreaked havoc at Japanese merchants. 40% um, of the captured oil fields reached Japan. By 1943, this had fallen to 15. By 1944, 5. And in 1945, Japanese crude oil production was at zero. No crude oil to make their boats go. And, and what, I want to what I want you to see from this is that the war against Japan was done six months in. The Battle of Midway was such a decisive battle, it destroyed four Japanese carriers, killed so many pilots, took care... The Japanese went down with the ship for the most part, so they lost four admirals over, cat, over carriers. It was such a devastating defeat that all the United States had to do was to continue to produce and not quit. And it took them from 1942 to 1945 to completely subdue the Japanese, but, but it was never in doubt. It was never in doubt. Even another place in this book, it, it talks about the guy that led the, the, the uh, attack on Pearl Harbor. I think his name was Yamaguchi, I think. That, that doesn't sound right, does it? It's like I made that up. Um, but, but the guy that, the, the guy that um, led the attack on Pearl Harbor said, he even said, he said, if we don't defeat the United States in one year, then I will be defeated at every turn. Because he understood the, uh, the trouble, he understood the vast wealth and the majority and the things that the United States had going for it in the, in the way of production and wealth and the things that they had, and militarization, all the things that the United States had going would so outclass the Japanese that they would just overwhelm them. And that's what happened. The Battle of Okinawa, which was the last major battle in the Pacific War, the United States had 1,300 ships. You didn't say all. Oh, good night. I said 1,300 boats, ships, carriers, destroyers, guided missile cruisers, 1,300 ships surrounding an island, half, one half of 582,000 men on those ships to attack an island. 
Thank you. Finally. <laughs> Finally. This is amazing. The production that the United States was able to do in three years. Three years. The United States had a standing army of 750,000 people on December the 7th, 1941. You know, at the, at the end of the war, they had over 7 million men in uniform, men and women. The ability of the United States to amass production and amass military was so overwhelming that the Japanese knew that if they didn't knock us out early, then they could not win the war. It was over. It was over. In six months into the battle, it was over. The critical U.S. victory stopped the growth of the Japanese in the Pacific and put the United States in a position to begin shrinking the Japanese empire through a years-long series of island-hopping invasions and seven, several even larger neighbor battles. This battle, that's from the National World War II Museum, from the history.com, it says this battle injected the U.S. forces with confidence and drained the Japanese morale, turning the tide of the war in the Pacific strongly in favor of the United States. To my knowledge, now I may be wrong here, but to my knowledge, the United States never lost another naval battle, nor did they lose a land battle the rest of the war. Because even though the Japanese still had forces, even though they still had men, even though they still tried to fight, even though they still had a navy, they could never amass enough strength to overcome the United States. And as far as the history is concerned, the World War II in the Pacific was won at midway, six months into the war, as long as the United States didn't quit. As long as we didn't quit, we could win. There was no way we could not win. Are you with me? You say, why are you telling me this? I'm, you know I'm not a history guy. What, what are you telling me this for? I want you to turn with me to the book of John because we've talked about the kingdom of darkness and we've talked about the kingdom of God, but I want you to look with me in the book of John chapter 19. <laughs> I'm getting excited because I know what's coming. Praise God. John chapter 19. Verse 28. Are you there? I want you to see this. Everybody turn to it. John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, says, I thirst. And there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon a hyssop, upon a stick, and put it to its mouth. And Jesus, therefore, when he received the vinegar, said, What? It is finished. And bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Midway. Midway. When he said, It is finished, the kingdom of the devil suffered such a blow that they could never recover. <laughs> the powers of darkness. When Jesus said, It is finished. The powers of darkness receive such a blow that they'll never recover. They'll never again be able to have control over those who are now in the new kingdom, which is the kingdom of heaven. The third kingdom that's on the earth today, there's the kingdom of God, which is all encompassing. That's everything there is, all the islands, I mean islands, all the uh, planets, 
All the atmosphere, everything in the world all belongs to God. He made it. It's his. It's the kingdom of God. The kingdoms of the world, the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, the, the human kingdom, the man kingdom, all those things were given to the devil, so those belong to him. But now we've got a third kingdom that's introduced. It's called the kingdom of heaven. And the firstborn of that kingdom, the Adam, if you will, as Paul calls him, of that kingdom is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And when that Adam said, it is finished, then now we're a part of a new kingdom. How do you get into this new kingdom? You're reborn. You're reborn. You pass from death of the kingdom of, devil, of darkness into life of the kingdom of heaven. Look with me at verse 20, chapter 20. It says, The first day of the week came Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, into the sepulcher, and seeing the stone taken away. Then she runs and comes to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto him, They've taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they've laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple came to the sepulcher, and they both ran together, and the disciple did outrun Peter and came first. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw where the clothes were laying, yet went not in. Then comes Peter, following him, went into the sepulcher, sees the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about the head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must, what? Rise again from the dead. Rise again from the dead. What happened when Jesus rose again from the dead? What did he do? He ascended up into heaven. He appeared in the holiest of holies. He presented himself in his blood as, a, as the perfect sacrifice. First John calls it the propitiation, the perfect sacrifice, the 100% right thing that justified mankind. One satisfied all the legal requirements. His blood was presented in the holiest of holies, and when he did, man was proclaimed to be redeemed. <laughs> redeemed! <laughs> I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. I belong to a new kingdom. I got out of that old kingdom. I got put in that old kingdom. I didn't have any choice. Right? Because I had to be born. I couldn't be hatched. There you go. Okay. I had to be born. And when I was born, I was born under the old Adam. But one day I came to an altar and I was reborn. And when I was reborn, I was reborn under a new daddy. Woo, hallelujah. I became a new creature in Christ Jesus. Just like a new babe, I became a new babe, but I'm in a different kingdom now. <laughs> I'm no longer under the kingdom of darkness. I'm in the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is rich and powerful and anointed. And the kingdom of darkness stands no chance against the kingdom of heaven because it can outproduce it at every turn. The only way the kingdom of heaven ever, lo ever loses is if we quit. Just like the United States, the only way they lose the war in the Pacific is if it gets so bad that they quit. The Japanese knew that. Whenever the Americans would land on islands, they didn't shoot to kill. They shoot to wound. Why? Because it takes three or four more guys to come there and pick up the one wounded. So instead of killing one, now they got five targets. They knew what they were doing. 
They were trying to get the U.S. to quit because the only way they win is if we quit. But if we keep coming, they stand no chance. They can't outproduce us. They can't outmuscle us. They can't outman us. We were ahead of them in every, every trial, every turn, every corner. We got more ships. We got more planes. We got more men. We got more people. We got more guns. We got more ammo. And we got more resolve to win the war than they did. And because of that, there was never a match. And I'm telling you, if we do the same thing in the kingdom of heaven, then the kingdom of darkness can never win. It can never win. If we, out, if we outproduce, if we outpray, if we outpush, if we continue to press forward into what God's called us to do, then there's no way we can lose. Let's look at one more scripture. Romans 4. I like Paul. He's a pretty good writer. He wrote 13 books. I don't know if he's one of the bestseller books, but anyway, he wrote 13 of them. Romans 4. Love these verses. 24 and 25. But as for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up for our offenses... So the blood of Jesus Christ saves me and washes away all my sins. He was delivered up for my offenses. Did you get that? My sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's all that's required. When I ask Jesus into my heart, I'm saved. If I die right there, I'm saved. I don't need anything else. I'm saved. But he was raised again for what? My justification. Hallelujah. He redeemed me by that resurrection just as if I'd never sinned. So, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the beginning of a new race of humans. A new kingdom outside of the ones controlled by the dominion of darkness. A kingdom of heaven with Jesus as their Adam. Do you get what I'm saying there? As their Adam with all the power and authority given to them by the Father through Jesus the Son. Fifty days later, the Father made good on a promise. So let's look at Acts 1. You're in Romans, so go back one book to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. Because it doesn't do any good to have a gun if you don't have any bullets. No good, no good to bring a knife to a gunfight. Got to have, got to have, got to have some firepower there, right? Got it. You know, uh, I don't know if you remember it or not, but in the 80s, Ronald Reagan wanted to produce a 600-ship navy, 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 navy. And one of the things he did was recommissioned a, a battleship. Do you remember that? 16-inch guns on that battleship. The shell that that battleship lost launched, weighed 2,500 pounds. That's the shell. It weighed 2,500 pounds, and I'm not sure how far it could shoot that thing, but it was miles. It could shoot it for miles. 16-inch diameter gun. He actually fired it over there in Lebanon. I think the the, uh, Hezbollah was impressed when it hit. (laughs) They showed a picture of the hole. You could lose this church in it enormous firepower. You need some firepower. If you're going to get the attention of the enemy, you've got to have some punch, right? So let's, let's see here. 
Acts 1, 4 through 5. And he, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait on the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days since. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, without this time restore the kingdom. And he said, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own hands, but you shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just so that you can speak in tongues. It's not just so that you can feel good. It's not just so that you can get excited. The Holy Spirit is given to you for firepower. Firepower. Something that lives and moves and burns within your soul. Something that whenever the enemy feels like he's coming in like a flood and you're about to be overrun, you can call in and say, look, I need some firepower in here. I need, I need somebody to flaunt some, some artillery over this way. And, let, and call to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit, you say, how do you know when he comes in? Because he begins to pray through us. He begins to intercede through us. We do not always know what we pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit makes intercession according to the will of God. Call in the artillery. God, I need your help. I don't know how to pray. I'm being overrun here. I need some help. Holy Spirit, boom, power, fire, shut up in my bones. You want to have, you want to have an excitement. You know, I, and, and I know y'all have heard me tell this a hundred times, but we used to have a, my dad used to work evenings. Uh, sometimes he was a shift worker. They worked eight hours a day. They worked days, evenings, and midnights. They called them graveyards. But the evenings was from 2 o'clock till 11 o'clock, something like that. It might have been 3 to 11, something like that. So my mom, on Saturday night when we were kids, she would feel like she needed to go in her bedroom and pray while we were in there watching TV as kids. Now, I don't know if you know my mom, but she's not very quiet. She's, she hadn't been too loud here, but whenever I was a young kid, she, she was loud. And she would go in back there in that back room. She'd begin to pray. And the Holy Spirit would come in her bedroom. And next thing you know, us, me and my brother Jay, we were just kind of looking at each other because you could hear the Spirit of the Lord. And you could hear her crying out to God and about the service and about the pastor and about just say, salvation. And it, it, what, what, what was that? It was that? It was the fire that came in. It was that power from that new kingdom that was shut up in her bones now and, and moving her soul. And, and it was the power of God that moved her forward. So we need this power. If it, uh, it says, and baptized the new race with power through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2. And when the dead Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord with one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared in them cloven tongues like as of fire and set upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What did that fire do? What happened at the end of Peter's sermon? What did the people do? Brethren, what must we do to be saved? What did that Spirit do? It touched their hearts. It demonstrated... Oh, at John 16... Here's what that fire did. You're just a few pages. You should be there. Are you there? How be it when the spirit of truth has come? Well, wait a minute. 
Nevertheless, I tell you, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness of judgment. He reproves them of sin because they don't believe of me. He reproves them of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. He reproves them of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes into a, a person that's born of that new kingdom, then, then whoever he's speaking to, he doesn't do it with words of men's wisdom, but with power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And when was this power made available? It was made available when Jesus died on the cross and resurrected the third day and began a new kingdom called the kingdom of God, of whom he is the first Adam. Romans 5. Praise God. Romans 5. I'll, I'll tell you something else while you're turning there. Toward the end of the war, some of, some of the Japanese leaders approached some American leaders through a third country and offered to, offered to start a problem that would cause a conditional surrender. They offered the United States to say, hey, if, you'll, if you want to, we'll, we'll work with the emperor and we'll get a conditional surrender, right? To where you stop, we stop, everybody's happy. We don't kill anybody any, any, anymore, no more guns, no more war. We'll just have a conditional surrender. And the United States commanders said, we're here for the duration. We stop whenever you agree to an unconditional surrender. Not a moment before. And if we're not careful, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven, can want to negotiate a conditional surrender with the kingdom of darkness. And say, and, and say okay, we'll keep put pressing in this area because this area is Muslim and it's too hard to get into. And it's, so we'll just, we'll just bypass that. And we'll try to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to other areas. Because this is dangerous and this is hard. And you can get killed and, and, and those reasons. But if the Lord's put a call on your heart to go to Iran. If God's put a call on your heart to go to someplace hard. There was a, there was a missionary named Stutz. Um, C.S. Stutz. He, his wife died. God called, he was a missionary to India. His wife died in India, came back home to England. God called him to the Congo. His parents, his children said, Dad, don't go to the Congo. They're killing, they kill missionaries down there. You won't survive. Please don't go down there. And he said, God has called me to the Congo, and I will go. And may my grave be simply a stepping stone for those who will f follow behind me. And when he left to go to the Congo, he shipped his stuff in a casket. Did he get killed? No. No, he survived. When others were dying, he survived. He brought Jesus to the Congo, to the portions of the Congo. And all I'm telling you is this. Romans 5, 17 through 21. 
For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more those that receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Whom? Jesus Christ. First Adam. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so grace might reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven has as its firstborn Jesus Christ. Let's look at one more place here. That's 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First Corinthians. If you get to Second Corinthians, you went too far. Come back one. First Corinthians 15, verse 45. And so it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam, who is that? Jesus. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not the first which was spiritual, but that which is natural. I wasn't born spiritual. I know that shocks a lot of you. I was born natural. I was born natural. That's what came first. Then afterward, that which is spiritual. After I got saved, then I became spiritual. The carnal man is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. He's carnal. He's, only, he's in the kingdom of darkness. But whenever I become, when I get saved, I become a new creature, and now I'm a, king, I'm a member of the kingdom of heaven, which is a kingdom of light. So the natural came first, then the spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. Those who are in the kingdom of darkness only thinks about things that are on the earth. They have no concept of spiritual things. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Where should my affections be? On spiritual things. Why? Because I'm in a different kingdom. I'm not of the kingdom of darkness. I'm in the kingdom of heaven. My affections are no, more, no longer on things of the earth. Taste not, touch not, want not. Paul says, set your sections on things above. And as the kingdom of heaven, I'm more concerned about what's going on in the heavenlies than I am what's going on in the earth. Because the heavenlies controls the, if it's in, if it's, if it's, in, if it's good in the heavens, then it'll be good on the earth. We, we as kingdom of the kingdom of, of heaven, we control who rules the heavens. We said the kingdom of darkness, he's the prince of the power of the air. But I, as one of the kingdom of heaven, now have control over the air. You with me? Because I'm not of this world. I'm of another world. Okay. How far are we going down? And as is the earthy, such are they that are earthy. And as the heavenly, such are they that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. 
So I'm talking about a new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven that we are a part of. This church is part of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is simply anywhere where a child of God is. It doesn't matter where I go. doesn't matter if I'm in Seattle, Washington, or if I'm in the jungles of Africa, or if I'm in the streets of Athens, Greece, or if I'm, if I'm in, the, in the, the, the slums of Calcutta, India. doesn't matter where I am. The kingdom of God lives within me, and whenever my feet hit that ground, the kingdom of heaven is now there. <laughs> Lord God. Hmm. Oh, yes, sure. You just you just have to keep remembering that we're in a warfare. You have to remember that we are constantly in a warfare. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. But another translation says, uh, forceful men violently advance it. Forceful men violently advance it. If you think about a war, in a war, you want to always be on the offense and not on the defense. If, if you look at the losses of the United States in the Pacific and you look at the losses of the Japanese on Okinawa, one island, Okinawa, do you know how many enemy deaths were on one island, Okinawa? 106,000. Dead. That's not wounded. That's dead. Now, the Japanese fought to the death, and if you, if you didn't kill them, they'd kill themselves. I know that. But still, 106,000. The United States losses were high, probably one of the highest islands that they attacked. I think it was around 23,000 that were killed or injured, KI, uh, killed or, in, or wounded, casualties. But 23,000 doesn't compare to 106. So what I'm telling you is, as long as we remember that the weapons of our warfare, that whenever the enemy comes in like a flood, normally, now this is not always true, but normally, it's not because he wants to attack me. It's because I've invaded his territory and he's trying to fight back. Look, we're going to jump around here for just a minute. Go to Matthew chapter 16. This was a really hard Bible study to do, by the way. I've got a second page here that we'll do next week. But this was really hard to do because I wanted to say, here, I wanted to just say this. The kingdom of heaven, you know, like the kingdom of, 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 of darkness, we had 
kill, steal, and destroy, prince of power of the air, had all those things, okay? We had all those things, all those points. The kingdom of heaven, you simply say, anything Jesus could do, I can do. That's it. There's lots of things. I, I, I put some bullet points here. But the bottom line is, Jesus is the first Adam. He's making intercession for me. He said, the works that I do, you shall do, and greater than these, which means not greater. There's nothing greater than raising a man from the dead four days after he's dead. I mean, what are you going to do to top that? So he didn't mean greater in wow factor. He meant greater because instead of him being one, then there was 12. Now there's how many in here? 35, 40, 50, however many. Across the, United, across the world right now, just in the Assemblies of God alone, there's 65 million. We should be doing greater works, more volume, because he went to his Father. That's what the kingdom of heaven's all about. It's pushing the kingdom of heaven onto earth, destroying the kingdom. And the kingdom of darkness is getting weaker every day. I know you're going to say, well, it don't look like it. I agree, it don't look like it. But you always put up the biggest fight right before you get right before you get overrun. It's always darkest, and you always put up the biggest fight right before you're going to get overrun. When you're trying to protect something, you'll fight to the death trying to protect it, and you'll put up the biggest fight, and that's all that's going on now. The devil knows he's got a short time. He knows that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are going to overrun his kingdom. He knows all that. He knows all that, but he's going to put up a fight because the only way, his only chance to stop the church is to get them to quit. And he's used that over and over and over through history. Like Mike said one time, he doesn't have a toolbox. He's just got a little toolbox because all he needs is about three things in there and we fall apart. Matthew 16. Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, verse 13, and asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that this I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some said, Thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he says, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the profession that Jesus Christ is the living Son of God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you, what? The keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. My God. I've got all power and all authority given to me by Jesus Christ. I, I mean, I'm not God. Don't get crazy with it. But I am a son of God, and I'm in the kingdom of heaven, and I've got firepower in my soul, the baptism of the Holy Ghost burning in my soul. My Lord, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Oh, all God needs is somebody. Can I get somebody? <laughs> I just need somebody that'll go <laughs> and fight. Whew. One more place, and I'll let you go. It's, it's almost 830. Let's go to Revelation. I want to read one more verse, and then we'll quit for tonight. Next week, we'll come back, and we'll talk about these bullet points. And I may, I may during my research for the week, I may come up with a few more, but this is a good start.
I want you to understand tonight that sickness, disease, addictions, pornographers, all those things that are in the kingdom of darkness can be defeated and destroyed by someone who is in the kingdom of heaven. And if they're in your life, if they're in your life, you don't have to live with them. You don't have to find a place to compromise and say, well, I, I, I can't overcome this, so we'll just compromise it. Don't compromise it. You have the power to invoke an unconditional surrender. Don't compromise it. My God. Revelation 1, where do we want to go here? Verse 18, verse 17. John says, and I saw Christ, this is Jesus, and I fell at his feet as dead. And Jesus laid his right hand upon me and said, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am him that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys to where? Hell and death. Hell and death. The kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness. Hades, hell, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the underworld. Jesus Christ has the keys to it. And the best way to overcome a wall that's got a door in it is to unlock the door. It's easier to unlock the door and go in than it is to scale the wall. And I can do that because I got the key. <laughs> so the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God that's on the earth. And it belongs to those who have been reborn and who have now made themselves of the lineage and the line of the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ. And in him, all things are possible. There is no weapon formed against you that can prosper because greater is he that's now in me because I'm no longer earthy, now I'm spiritual. <laughs> My God. So, the kingdom of heaven comes on the scene, and now the game changes, because now the kingdom of heaven gets stronger and stronger, and the kingdom of darkness gets weaker and weaker because of the blow that was, that was afforded by Christ on Calvary at the cross and in the resurrection. I'm done. Amen? Amen. Stand with me tonight. We'll, we'll start on this next week. And like I said, maybe I'll, if you think of some things that's not on this list and you want to talk about them, you, you tell me about them or you come talk about them. I don't care. But with the kingdom of heaven that we're a member of is powerful, authoritative. It's, it's a great place to be. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for this Bible study tonight, Father. I pray in Jesus' name, O God, that your will would be done in each one of our lives, O God. I pray, Lord God, that we would be awakened, O God, to the power and the authority, Lord God, that you've given us through the Son of God. Lord God, that in his name all things are possible to him that believes, O God. And Lord God, I pray today, Almighty God, that you would help us, O God, to submerge ourselves more and more into that kingdom, God. Lord, let us not find a place of conditional surrender and compromise in our own life, O oh God. But help us, O oh God, to crucify the flesh and all the lusts thereof and not to frustrate the grace of God. 
And Lord God, I give you praise for it because I know it's possible through Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in his name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.